All right, so welcome, uh, David, to Startwell's A New Normal series. Uh, I'm sure, I don't know if you've taken a look at some of the past episodes, but essentially we try and take a bit of a survey approach uh, with entrepreneurs here in Canada, specifically in Toronto, looking at um, you know their entrepreneurial stories as well as how this recent economic response to the pandemic specifically, uh, as opposed to focusing on the medical issues, uh, the economic response to it uh, has affected their business and particularly an outlook on the future, hopefully to extrapolate some lessons and some inspiration uh, for the entrepreneurial community who may be uh, watching this today. So first off, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for joining me today. And um, yeah, let's jump into it. Awesome. Hey, Kasim, thanks for having me. This is great. Uh, so first up, David, you're the founder and CEO of Voices.com. Uh, I love the fact that your company is a URL because uh, for me, I mean, I'm a bit old school. I got online, you know, in 1994, 95. Uh, and, you know, in the early days, of course, uh, pretty boom bust, you know, New York, Silicon Alley days, uh, everything was a .com. So I think that's interesting. Tell me a little bit about like that, how long you've been doing voices for um, as a company. And then, you know, I'll ask you some questions that interest me anyway about um, about the impetus to, to, to create the service offering and then where we've gone from there. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the founding story is always a good one to start with. Um, you know, I co-founded the company actually with my, my dear wife, Stephanie. Um, and uh, the idea came to be because I grew up uh, and went to school as an audio engineer, learning how to record and mix, uh, produce music, open up a small recording studio here uh, in London, Ontario, which is, you know, a couple hours outside of Toronto, uh, for those uh, not familiar with the city specifically, but uh, opened up the studio downtown, got my name in the local newspaper. And that's how I met Stephanie. Stephanie uh, was a classically trained singer, training at uh, Western University in the music program. And uh, one of her assignments was to record a demo of her voice. And so she, uh, she, you know, did freelance gigs as well, recording, uh, performing at music, uh, uh, events, uh, weddings, funerals, and so forth. So she had a couple of reasons, I think, to come down to the studio that uh, she saw the article uh, in the newspaper. And uh, we ended up hitting it off. But uh, to because of that same article, and this shows, you know, even in a low-tech way, the power of uh, great publicity uh, for, <laughs> to, to raise the awareness of, of startups and, and scale-ups. Um, because of that same article, there were other small businesses in town that wanted um, some recordings done. And uh, it was like phone system recording, some local commercials. They asked me if I uh, knew a female voice talent. And I had just met Stephanie the other day. And I, uh, my pitch to her at the time was, uh, do you think you could come down and, and read this page of copy, right? You know, kind of a, a couple lines uh, of script. And uh, if so, we'll split the money. I'll be the engineer and you can be the voice talent. And um, we ended up doing work together of course, uh, that also led to us uh, dating and, and uh, eventually getting married. And now we have four wonderful children. But um, right from the get-go, we recognize that voice is unique in its ability to communicate and inform and inspire audiences. And uh, so we put together a small website promoting Stephanie as the voice talent. And that actually attracted other freelancers from all around North America, people who spoke different languages who do, do different characters. Um, 
you know, some commercial work is very different than listening to an audiobook or a documentary or corporate training videos. Now podcasts have intros and outros or even the ads in the podcast. So there's a proliferation of audio um, opportunities for, uh, for marketers. And so we've just ridden that word, uh, wave. What we eventually created uh, and what we have now is uh, Voices.com, which is an online marketplace. You can think of the freelance economy. There's lots of niche players of connecting buyers and sellers. And so Voices connects the voice buying uh, client, often ad agencies, creative producers, and marketing departments uh, with professional voice talent. People who have a background in audio engineering, uh, obviously a you know, God-given gift of a great voice, um, but they often have like the technical skills to be able to record in a home-based studio. And what they're lacking is the, um, the access to uh, job opportunities. And so we try to bring in these clients to post jobs on voices, outline what they're looking for, and then match that up with the most suitable talent um, and invite them to, uh, to reply to the job. So that's been the idea. We've stuck with it for uh, going on 15 years. It sounds uh, you know, long in the tooth just saying that, but uh, I think it goes to show you, you know, you, if you can find one little slice of the world, um, you should really ought to just pursue that to, to its you know, highest and fullest potential. Um, and so that's been our perspective of why we've stuck with this one idea for so many years. Well, it sounds fascinating to, to see the domain expertise that you brought into this, the kind of like, let's see what happens, enthusiasm in the, in the early days. And the fact that you found this personal connection and, uh, and essentially, you know, your wife through business is such a wonderful, heartwarming kind of, uh, you know, entrepreneurial story. And also that you've stayed as the company's grown in London, uh, if I'm correct. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I sometimes jokingly say I married my first customer, um, not marital <laughs> advice whatsoever, but, uh, but true nonetheless. Um, no, we've, uh, you know, Stephanie's backgrounds here. I went to school, it's called the Ontario Institute of Audio Recording Technology. It's based here in London. Uh, and Stephanie went to school and her family's also here in London. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of reason for us to stay here. You know, we were having a young family at the time. So it made sense to plant roots from a personal perspective. Uh, and you're right. I think uh, we leveraged our, uh, you know, expertise. And I'm going to say passion. I mean, I grew up playing drums and music through the music conservatory, Stephanie on music and performing arts. Um, that is something, you know, dare I say that sometimes uh, aspiring entrepreneurs or somebody looking for a next idea sometimes miss out on. I mean, this is a long haul. And if you, if you just say, oh, I'm spotting an opportunity and it's an area you're both neither have any domain expertise nor um, passion about, I mean, you might get an, a year two or three out of it. Um, I'm as excited as ever, you know, I, even, you know, prepping for the podcast today, um, you know, plugging in a microphone and kind of uh, being self-sufficient that way, trying to make sure that, um, you know, that I'm living the, living the brand uh, as well too. So I, I think that emanates from founders that um, kind of grow up uh, with the company and are able to take their, you know, post-secondary academic uh, um, education as well as interests right. and, you know, convert that into solving a problem. And I'm not just going to say having an idea. Lots of people have ideas, but really solving a problem that, uh, that prospective customers might be having. 
Well, I look at that as well. As there's so many entrepreneurial things to reflect on in, in what you've already said. Um, but this idea of kind of like, you know, taking an idea uh, and, and comparing it against, you know, a business model and, and against the, the actual solution to a problem. I feel like, you know, great entrepreneurs understand that you need to be able to be in the mindset of ideation constantly in business. You always need to come up with new ideas. So it's kind of like a cultural context uh, where, where really the business is is really the, the solution and the problem fitting and being able to, of course, monetize that from, from hopefully day one gives you a little bit of a sustainable pat on the back to say, hey, this is something I can commit to. Gathering those ideas really um, can come from anywhere. I think I found the best ones. Um, you know, they're, they're not always, you know, from the founder um, or founders, you know, stargazing and, and just trying to dream stuff up. Maybe that's where, where it is initially, but you, whether you have an idea um, that's self-generated or one that you've just um, done observation, um, and it could be as simple as, you know, you know uh, sitting in a park, watching people kind of carry on with their life, being in a mall um, or even online, um, trying to understand what are, like, what are the trends what are, and really what you ought to be looking for are problems that people are having. And uh, because people pay for problems to be solved, uh, you know, again, preaching to the choir here, I know, you, know you and, and uh, the listeners know this well, um, but one way we actually did this, again, super low tech, um, and I'm going back, as I say, you know, 15, uh, 10, 15 years here, was we actually put a toll-free phone number at the top of every page on our website. It was like built into the template. And uh, this phone would ring day and night. It just went to our little dinette office, like the corner of our, uh, of our condo. And uh, the phone would ring and it would blink this light. Uh, we had this uh, mini phone system box. And both of us would, you know, would look at each other and go in the most panicked, you know, uh, look like, okay, which one of us is grabbing the baby and like running down the hall, uh, muffling the crying and the other one's answering, you know, thank you for calling voices. You've reached David. How can I help you? So, you know, the, the phone would ring day and night. Steph and I didn't know, um, you know, who was calling from where. And uh, we would pick up the phone and, and uh, answer, thank you for calling voices. You reached David. How can I help you? And throughout that conversation, I realized very early, it's always great to, if somebody found us through a search or through a referral, and they took that next step to call because they have, they needed help, they have a question, I'd often ask um, one of my favorite questions, like, what is one thing that we could do that would like knock your socks off? Like, what would amaze you? Like, if, if you've, you know, you're, you know and, and whatever that might be you know, you start kind of developing, which nowadays we, we talk in kind of product land is like a back, backlog, right? It's your backlog of ideas that you're going to prune and call over time. But there's always this, uh, this list, this ongoing list of problems to be solved um, that are ideas in effect that are submitted by customers. So we've, uh, we've maintained that in a little bit more of an advanced uh, way nowadays, just with a little feedback widget on the side. We still have the toll-free phone number on the homepage. Um, but there's also a little feedback widget on the side. But I just think that that's so important. You see patterns, especially if somebody or a group of people are submitting the same types of ideas right. over time. Um, then you know it's almost like the plus one or the upvoting. You're like, wow, seven people really think this is important. Uh, maybe we should look into that further. It's very interesting because I feel like um, I feel like you know business culture in the last let's call it half decade uh, has gotten a bit intense. 
maybe for our new founders. And, and we deal with this a lot when we're mentoring here on campus, mentoring like SaaS startups and technology startups that are not only launching uh, companies to envision futures for bleeding edge brand new technology that didn't exist yesterday, which is difficult in itself, right? When you're like creating, productizing something that may not sustainably itself be productizable in five years or two years. Um, mm -hmm. There's the pressure of that kind of like technological evolution and supporting it in the business model. And then there's also the pressure, uh, which I think is kind of like a cultural pressure in the like, you know, VC startup sort of arena and, and uh, something that maybe Silicon Valley has uh, propagated, if not through media, um, but otherwise people have picked up on this kind of very uh, intense, we have to please the customers and we have to be, you know, scale relevant at all costs. And in doing so, I think the companies, a lot of early stage companies seem to be affecting this kind of um, machismo, you know, in the marketplace that doesn't offer feedback. It doesn't offer the kind of welcome participation from the customer base to say, we're here for you and we want this relationship to be, you know, mutually beneficial. And it's really just about like utility instead, which I think could be mm. really harmful. And it's really nice to, again, hear that, um, you know, that you guys obviously, each project that Voices is probably supporting is something that is about relationships, right? You're in being a marketplace. It's, uh, it's something I'd like to hear more from you on is, is the kind of relationships that have formed through uh, the platform over the years, if there are any anecdotes that you can share on that. Yeah, the, um, I mean, so, so many ideas and, and thoughts come to mind here. Um, marketplace businesses uh, is really a subset of platforms. There's, you know, innovation platforms, which would be like, you know, the Android operating system, or, you know, um, you know, a Microsoft, you know, that's a, that's an innovation platform. And then there's these kind of um, transactional platforms, like a two sided marketplace. And by its very nature, the word that keeps coming to mind that, that uh, drives us is connection. We are connectors of buyers and sellers. We call them in this particular niche talent, you know, the creative talent or voice talent and the client. So we need to maintain those relationships. Now, often, the, um, the real challenge is what's referred to as uh, classically the chicken and egg challenge of, well, which side do you build up first? And um, invariably from Airbnb, Uber, and Voices, and you know, Upwork, and almost every um, two-sided marketplace, you actually start with the supply. Um, in our world, that would be the voice talent. And you have to get kind of like, call it a critical mass. Maybe that's a hundred, maybe it's a thousand. It's, it's not millions. A lot of people think it's like, you need all of these people. You just need something um, to begin with. So we actually built um, a community around there. I mean, again, going back in the day here, you know, forums, we were the first ones to start a blog. We had, we were the first one in our industry to have a community group on Facebook. Let's take, let's take a pause. And just for any of our listeners who may have been, um, brought online from the 90s onwards explain what, what a forum is oh sure yeah sure so <laughs> um uh, funny that i would uh, even think that i would need to do that but um i mean really it's the precursor to what we see on facebook groups um nowadays you'd, you'd log in with a username and a password and in effect it would you know a discussion group someone could put in a question and then um or a topic that they're having a challenge with 
and uh, all kinds of people would give feedback. Um, so often it related to like the, the art and the craft of, of performing, uh, doing voiceovers or voice acting, if you will. But then often it would be, um, you know, we would try to encourage a conversation around improvements to our website. Uh, but it was, it was really just a two-way um, uh, conversation. Uh, you know, uh, probably Reddit's the closest thing to uh, what I would, yeah. uh, or like. So I wanted to bring that up because I think, I think that's true. I think Reddit becomes a thing. And again, this, these days, Reddit is this thing where very few brands kind of uh, treat it with warm embrace. People are kind of afraid of the mass populist feedback in public domain. Um, but that's the beginnings of the internet. And it goes back to bulletin boards before the web, right? So yeah, yeah it's always been a cultural thing that's so part of the, uh, the internet. So For sure. So I mean, however you're going to grab that feedback or inspire it, um, then, then I think that's important. Um, w more recently, and I mean, if you wanted to kind of just jump to like, well, okay, how do we formalize this? Because it sounds very ad hoc and organic. Um, eventually, we created what we call customer advisory groups. It's, it's probably, a, again, an overly formal name, but really it's just, a, you know, frankly, like a list of people of names and emails that we, uh, that we can, who have agreed to participate. Um, there's no incentive, you know, it's, it's just highly engaged power users, if you will, who want to co-create something. Um, so on our platform, what they wanted was statistics. The voice talent wanted to know, um, how many times people are listening to my, uh, my demos that I've uploaded? What's my, what, what they call their audition to booking ratio? How many times do I have to audition and do these tryouts before I actually win one? And now they're all comparing stats with one another. Um, you know, I'm trying to beat my last week. So it's almost this like gamification layer that, that, that's built in. But it, I mean, it's pretty rudimentary now, but they, they wanted it. Those are the kinds of ideas that... Um, that are almost sometimes hard to sell internally because they're like, what's the revenue opportunity for this? But they are definitely delighters um, for customers. And it's so wonderful to be able to show like, you know, not only that the idea came from a customer, but it also like the feedback afterwards was like overwhelmingly positive. We, you know, don't get me wrong. We don't get them all right. Um, sometimes there's even controversial changes that we can preview or, pre-sell, if you will, the idea that, hey, we might need to make a change in this area and here's why. Does this messaging make sense? Do you understand this? Um, so it's, it's nice to have a highly engaged group that um, can honor a, you know, a sense of confidentiality, um, vulnerability on, the, uh, on behalf of the company in order to have you know, the best uh, ultimate outcome. But it, I mean, that, that's where it leads to. Um, and that's just, a, you know, either it's a once a month email that says, here's three questions or here's a screenshot or here's a link to a usability test. Um, if that's too frequent, maybe, you know, maybe once every three, three months, um, some type of predictable cadence uh, on that. I, I think you got to build that into the routine of, of ultimately building a product that customers love. So let's talk a little bit about the growth trajectory of voices. So like, you know, from the last 15 years to now, uh, in terms of either side of the coin, you know, the, um, the talent or the agencies or whoever is booking the talent through your platform, how have they grown? Well, the first, um, and truth be told, the first five years were pretty, pretty quiet. I mean, it was really Stephanie and I and probably two or three other people. I mean, it took us, a, I think, two years to hire our first employee, which was always so nerve wracking. Um, you know, we bootstrapped is really what it comes down to. Um, 
you know, fast forward to we actually initially, and it, and it actually mirrors the growth trajectory, mirrors the business model evolution. Initially, we were a membership-based site only. Then we layered on a transactional element where we were earning a, um, a transaction fee for you know, successfully making the match. And we were also processing that payment online. So um, it was a, you know, a true kind of end-to-end experience. So we went from subscriptions to also subscriptions and transactions. And then we uh, eventually found that there was actually some clients, um, not the small ad agency that wants a 30 second video um, or a short little commercial. I'm talking about like, you know, fortune 500 companies that want corporate training, uh, 10 hours of corporate training in 10 different languages. We're like, wow, that's a hundred hours of content. There's a lot of moving parts. So we introduced a professional services um, aspect to handle those more complex needs. At each of those inflection points, not only was there growth, because it was frankly new revenue opportunity, but it also needed the support in terms of staff. So where we are today is, you know, north of 100 employees, um, you know, re- revenue continues to grow, you know, quite, quite predictably, um, which is great to see. Uh, and I, I would say notably, um, you know, I'm almost like seeing, a, you know, a, a, a chart here where it's like, business model evolution layered on with employee, you know, um, you know, headcount increases that also is aligned with how our financing strategy evolved as well too. At the beginning, um, it's cash from customers. And it's like, as you said, right off the bat, Kassim, that I really love, which is like, hopefully you're monetizing something off the bat. Um, which I know there's pros and cons to that, but we certainly did. It was a, it was a subscription um, site, a membership-based site for those voice talent. Uh, it was $100 a year. Uh, and so the very, uh, we, we actually were generating cash, which allowed us to reinvest in advertising and generating awareness. Um, then we, uh, you know, successful with that for call it a couple years, we took on some debt. Um, our first loan was, I think, 30, maybe 15,000, and then 30, and then 50, 100, 150, 250, 500. We got up to $2 million from the Business Development Bank of Canada. And with every single um, new financing event, we always you know, cleared off the old debt, cleaned up the balance sheet, sure. and then... Oh. Yeah, no, sorry, that was me. Okay. <laughs> You kind of froze in this weird shape. Yeah. <laughs> so every, um, so at every leg of the financing journey, we also um, recognize that kind of at the end of it with BDC that we really, I, I was skeptical uh, to be candid that, um, and, and maybe unsure that they'd be willing to, you know, invest five or $10 million. And I, and I shouldn't even say invest lend us money because this was all debt right Right. um there really wasn't a lot of physical assets you know we weren't buying vehicles there wasn't a manufacturing facility or some big plant somewhere so the oh for every software and r d driven company um you don't have the physical assets in fact we're developing an intangible asset often in the forms of a patent or an intellectual property or customer list so um, that actually prompted us to uh, finally um, explore 
raising our, our Series A, um, our first institutional um, capital. And, um, you know, that, that was uh, ultimately we landed with uh, Morgan Stanley Expansion Capital, which is um, their growth equity kind of private equity group out of San Francisco. And they've been fantastic, uh, fantastic partners. How did that search, uh, how long did that search take? Was it something that, uh, you know, cause I think a lot of founders who are in those shoes and I've definitely been there where, you know, you're used to kind of running your business and the financing of your business feels very much intermingled with, you know, day-to-day -day operations. Cause it's a mixture of like debt and moving your revenues around. Um, you know, when it comes to the point of saying, okay, we need to actually look for capital partners and figure out what the value of the business is for them in terms of our next five to 10 years of growth in order to return on that investment and so on. Um, how much of your life did that uh, equation and that capital search steal do you, if you remember back? Oh no, I, re I remember clearly because, um, you know, listen, prior to that, it, we, we hadn't raised capital, not for lack of trying. I think it was just half-hearted efforts. You know, you show up at a pitch contest, right. you get an inbound call, you kind of are talking about what you might be doing. And it, it was so uh, disorganized. Um, and mostly because we didn't have conviction that we really wanted the capital um, as founders. And so my first, um, dare I say, you know, recommendation or something I would really strongly advocate for is have conviction that you are going to do this and you're going to run what's called running a process. If you're not running a process where you're in control of kicking it off, all the documents are already prepped and I can, you know, talk to that, but you're kicking it off and you have a, an endpoint, a start and a finish. Um, it will seem so disorganized to the, uh, to the investors and you'll just be, you know, everyone's going to be at a different stage. So let me put this in a, in a, in a positive way. There's really, um, at least for, you know, I'll speak from personal experience. Um, fortunately over, you know, the preceding call it five years, there had been either, you know, at conferences, um, names, if I saw somebody else got funding that was less similar business, but in a different area, like another marketplace, I just jot that investor name down as the firm, maybe the particular investor, and um, uh, you know, access to their LinkedIn profile or something, and then all the inbound. So in effect, I had a spreadsheet. I developed a Google sheet of over 200 inbound inquiries. I was not aware that some of them were only angel, some of them series A, some of them were private equity. I just, I went through that sheet and my email was simply this. Um, I'm thinking, you know, voices is thinking, you know, we've been in touch in the past. The subject line was like voices raising 15 million, I think was like the subject line. It was like, Hey, we've been in touch in the past. You might remember. And I try to reference where it was or reply to the original email. Um, we're looking at raising around a capital, our series A first institutional investment. Um, if you're interested, let me know and I'll shoot you a one pager just to get you up to speed on the latest. So I didn't push the one pager. I pre selected, I almost kind of generated a bit of interest and I got half the people right away said, yeah, I'm interested. And so I'd send that one pager. I go, if you like what you see, let me know and let's hop on a call. So then I think I did 80 phone calls and it was the same calls, you know, time and time again, you hear about the firm, why they're different. Um, you know, what's, what do they look for? Check size, stage of company and so forth. And I would say, look, you know, based on that, I'll, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be a fit. You're looking for a company much bigger than us. 
or much earlier. So it was, it was good to almost pre-screen, but you built the relationship nonetheless. Um, if after on that call, and this is one of the um, most, uh, I think, underestimated documents is a lot of people spend time creating a pitch deck, which might be, you know, 10 slides um, that, that, that run through the business. I created uh, what's referred to as a confidential information memorandum. It's the long version of the pitch deck with all of the detail. Pitch decks you're often giving in person, but you know, if I'm just gonna send over like basically the business plan, um, I wanna have that story very much controlled, but I had that done ahead of time. So I was more or less reading off of it during those calls which always, you know, it kept me honest. I always said the exact number, the same number to everybody. I wasn't giving different information, you know, at different periods of time. But, uh, and then I'd say, look, it sounds like you're really interested. Let me send you the SIM and this confidential information memorandum. Let me send you the SIM. Again, if you still like what you see, we'll uh, we'll meet in person. Um, I'm happy to come see you. And so Stephanie and I um, basically, you know, we scheduled a roadshow where we went from uh, New York to Boston, uh, LA, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and, uh, and as well, and actually started in Toronto. So we did the whole loop all, um, again, in control of that timeline, all um, tightly scheduled with the intention at the end of that, I, you know, again, making that ask. If you still like what you see, we'd love to uh, receive a term sheet from you um, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, so that we can make a decision uh, moving forward. And we ended up with three term sheets and um, s- selected Morgan Stanley based upon the, um, the board members, the investors. Um, you know, the, the, there's the, let's call it the decision-making criteria is not just valuation. Um, that's a really important takeaway. There's, uh, let's call it, that, that would be under the economics. You know, how much money and what's the valuation, how much you're going to give up. But yeah. then also control. And control would be, you know, how much do you, or do you still get to retain? What are your voting rights? Um, what are your veto powers? You know, what is the, what's the board makeup? Those are, I'm going to dare I say equally important factors when making your investor decision of who you want to be partners um, for, uh, you know, for really the, the, that, that next leg of the journey. And, and uh, it is a journey, but uh, that, that's our, that's our capital raising story. Hopefully there was some uh, good pieces in there that uh, that those are going to find helpful. Oh, I think there's great tips in there for people listening for sure. Um, the and and that was when did you guys raise capital? When was that? It was time? it was uh, 2017. We ended up raising 18 million US. Okay, and then since then, have you uh, gone to a Series B or? No, we we haven't. Um, you know, the use of proceeds for um, that initial Series A um, were threefold. We actually, and, and this was the other thing you need to have a a clear use of proceeds. Um, I I didn't have, again, I'm going to reuse that term. We didn't have the level of conviction of like, what, why do you need 10 million bucks? Why do you need 5 million bucks? And it cannot be, well, we're going to do what we're doing now, but bigger and better. It's like, okay. It it lacks the inspiration. And so this turn, this go around, um, I actually had reached out to a, what I would consider at the time, a competitor um who uh was you know interested in partnering i pitched the idea of like hey what if we you know merged our companies together a la like us acquire you 
Um, and, and he was interested. So we ended up acquiring um, a company called Voice Bank that did a very similar business. They were founded in 1998, believe it or not. Um, they really hadn't modernized their website at all, but they had a real stronghold with the unionized acting community, the Screen Actors Guild in the States. They had all the big talent agents. They had a lot of celebrities listed, listed on this platform. Um, so we wanted to uh, roll that into, uh, into voices. Um, so that was, uh, that was a big part of the use of proceeds. Um, and then uh, ripped out and replaced all of our technology and infrastructure. When you, when you start, you're, you're not thinking like, you know, I, I need the world's best CRM or HR system. You're like just trying to run it off spreadsheets um, and, and, uh, or, or Airtable and kind of just get your way through. Um, so, I mean, we, we ripped out and replaced uh, most of our key systems, uh, you know, upgraded and filled in gaps on our uh, executive team. And then only now are we at that point where we're truly accelerating the sales and marketing aspect of it. Um, so there was a, an order of operations there that, that made sense. Um, but those are the three use of proceeds. Um, I'm sure we'll be considering what the Series B looks like uh, before long. So it's, it's really interesting to hear this because the backdrop now we're going to jump into the, the C-19 situation. Um, but the backdrop, you know, of, I guess, ending 2019 in a good place of being somewhat restructured to be confident with the team and with the software stack and with the whole everything tightened up uh, and, and having hopefully for you money in the bank that's more than you need um, is a really good place to come into this, you know, craziness that we've been dealing with the last few months um, with the pandemic, uh, how immediately, let's talk about, I guess they go hand in hand, um, but the team and the company itself uh, versus or otherwise interrelated to your customers. What have you seen from the marketplace impact uh, you know, or force you to make decisions uh, to do with the composure of the team, to do with the company itself, uh, and even yeah. Then let's talk about now in the last couple of months, and then then we can talk about where you think the industry is going as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I I um, had a great professional development opportunity uh, in February of this year to um, continue my uh, business education at Harvard Business School, and. And during that month uh, long, it's, it's actually a three-year program, but it was a month long um, on campus. And I remember sitting down, again, this is February. Um, I remember sitting down, you know, day one, and there was, um, you know, fellow students um, on either side of me from China. So we immediately started having the conversation because remember February was not really kind of on the shores of North America as of yet. Um, Exactly. Exactly. And it was people, everyone was just trying to figure it out. You know, what's the severity? Um, and both of them, you know, quickly, you know, got to the point of like, look, it's highly underreported in China. We think it's a lot worse. It's going to get really bad. Um, and I was like, Ooh, so, you know, I, I, the very first, as soon as the program was over, the very first thing I did, um, you know, at the beginning of March, uh, before WHO declaring global pandemic was we actually ran a work from home readiness assessment. I mean, we were, we, we have 45,000 square feet in, in London, no remote employees, oh, wow. most people on desktops. Wow. 
I didn't realize a hundred people worked in London at one place. Yeah, exactly. And we're all on, we're all on one floor. So you see everybody all the time and you know, no, none of the conference rooms even had video cameras. So like we just were not, and I'm like, if we have to go to a, a remote work situation, we need to like, you know, is this even, do we even have the capabilities like technical capabilities? So uh, we ran, um, uh, we ran that assessment, got the laptops for those who needed to get laptops and literally like, you know, um, I think we ran a couple simulations of like big group um, team meetings virtually. And it wasn't before like the, the day after, I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday. Again, WHO declares the global pandemic, you know, mid, mid March. And that Friday I said, effective Monday, it is mandatory work from home. Like, and I think that was, it was what I wanted to do was create a unified work experience. I want everyone to be the same. I didn't want some hybrid thing where half the people are in the office and I want everyone to have the same experience. And we literally just kind of picked up. And I thought what was most important was to create a sense of stability right. in a right. moment yeah. of uncertainty. Yeah. And then how, how uh, was it, did everyone treat it uh, with the equal response or how, how did you find the feedback from your team? Well, initially, um, I think everyone was so relieved that we were proactive I, even the two weeks earlier, like, and I think at the time, I'm like, do we really need to be, you know, and I was like a lot of, but they were just like, wow, that was, that was like tremendous foresight to be prepared. Um, yeah. Be quick and be agile about making that decision because you're right. March was, everyone was so confused and, and panic stricken that uh, it probably really helped for them to be in a comfortable environment to make sense for themselves of what's happening. For sure, and that that sense of that sense of stability um, played out in us carrying forward. Um, I'm going to call them cultural routines. So every Monday morning at 11:45, we have what we call our weekly huddle. So it's a company-wide all hands meeting. We run through good news, our numbers of the week, you know, systems and operation, and anything upcoming. We always end off with thank yous. And we ran that. I was the, you know, show host, just like I am here, you know, um, on camera today. Sure. Uh, you know, I play music in the intro. We've got the chat on the one side, the video call. Like, it, it, it's, we just kind of picked it right up. I did notice, and I'm sure a lot of people did, was, you know, this um, phenomenon that was referred to as Zoom fatigue. And, I mean, we use Google uh, Meet. Um, but, you know, where once was the informal interaction it felt like everything was being booked for a 30 minute uh google hangout yeah. and we're like guys we gotta dial this back like it, let's just so we established new routines um a daily stand-up um for the various teams 15 minutes only and it's it just use that to again replicate the in-person bumping into each other in the first couple minutes of the day um we uh, changed you know for our board reporting like again the board was like you need to prepare for worst case scenario. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, I created uh, what I called a weekly flash report, which gave, gave um, you know, basically a, on a day-by-day -day basis, what are sales, what are job postings, what's our gross margin? Like it was, um, I sent it out every week, but you could definitely see the trend line um, and provided, but it was like a one, one Google slide with a headline and, and some notes. Um, so, the, you know, what, what I'm emphasizing here is 
and, and hopefully everyone's hearing is the level of communication, you know, this was a time where you, and, and to many organizations, even now you need to over communicate. I mean, um, we had town halls where there's a like Q and a ahead of time, like you could send in questions and then, um, anonymously, or you could ask them on the spot. So I, I think we over invested, uh, in the communication, which absolutely paid off. Um, so fast forward to kind of where we are today, and many have said this in different um, shapes and forms, but COVID-19 has, you know, it's accelerated our growth. There have been, um, you know, if you will, winners and, uh, and losers, those companies that have really struggled. And that breaks my heart. It's people's dreams. It's people's livelihood. Um, there are also tech-enabled and tech-led companies that are really thriving um, because they're a solution to people's problems. Um, and that's uh, in, in, in a time of need. And that, an ad agency or a creative producer who no longer has the ability, um, or dare I even say the luxury of going into a physical recording studio and working collaboratively with one another, they were almost forced, like many of us were, to look for an online alternative right. to whatever it is, whether it's grocery shopping or clothes shopping, you're now looking for these online alternatives. And Voices.com was the equivalent to a, you know, remote recording studio. I got to find somebody. How can I hire them and collaborate with them remotely? And so our business has um, really thrived actually in this environment, both from we, um, we segment our, uh, our, our client relationships by existing business, new business, and also what we call winbacks. One, customers that maybe did business with us in the past, but there was a gap year and we've won them back. We yeah. found that even ourselves lately, it's like people are looking back through their kind of relationships with their business or otherwise and saying what's important to me. Um, and, yes. uh, and looking back through their Rolodex of people and reconnecting. So it's, it's interesting. It's happening multi-sector. Absolutely. Just because, I mean, if they were just because they were interested before and said no, well, I mean, like literally rug pulled out from all of us. And so it's created this, um, this like multi-year pull forward of digital transformation, a company that wasn't considering investing in digital technology, software as a service, you name it, um, you know, uh, moving procure procurement onto a marketplace of some kind, all of a sudden is like, actually it's faster, it's cheaper, it's more secure, it's remote enabled. It's like, wow, the, the, the value prop really starts to, um, to expand. Um, I wanted to, uh, and I, again, at the prompting of the board, wanted to understand is this a temporary phenomenon or is this a permanent shift in behavior? So I actually conducted uh, over 100 customer calls um, that I wanted to validate if that was the case. And I heard um, you know, unequivocally that this is a permanent behavior shift, that people have moved almost a realization that like, I didn't realize it was so fast and so easy and a superior buying or customer experience um, so that's where we are today. And again, it's kind of like, you know, Catherine, where we started a conversation, which was like those kind of customer channel checks and like going back and like, okay, well, what do we need to build for you now? How can we serve you in this new environment? So the importance of like, you know, founder directly to customer, um, even if you're a, uh, technical or engineering founder, um, as I would consider myself with an, an engineering, uh, audio engineering background, I just, 
I still think there's so much value that you're hearing it unfiltered from your customers as what you need to do next. And that's created the next backlog of, of what we're going to be building over the next, you know, 12 and 18 months. Right. No, it's funny to bring the conversation full circle, but also see that, you know, I think it's just an aspect of business that people can't avoid if they want to be successful is that it's relationship based, right? Um, it's fascinating to hear this. I, I, I have to ask just because I'm in the game of uh, physical infrastructure and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of a landlord. But uh, so how has that, has this last few months of this, it's kind of not, not even an experiment. I'm guessing it's going to be something that has legs, but this, uh, this new way of working for your team being distributed, uh, do you think it's something that's going to require you to get out of your office or change your, your leasehold kind of um, obligations in the, in the future? We, um, I was, I was always the, I mean, clearly for running for 10 years of insisting that everyone was in London or moved to London and be, you know, ha having a hundred people in one location. Um, I, I was pretty stuck in that mindset. However, we have been surprisingly, oh, uh, you know, even more productive remotely. So that's prompted us. And we, again, ask the surveys and kind of, you know, informal one-on-ones, like, is this working for you? You know, in terms of the management team, um, all the individual contributors. And um, there is uh, absolutely an interest of some people who want to go back into the office, okay? It's not that, oh, this is so much better. Like there are people who want to work from home and there's people who want to work um, back in the office. There's also times where we need everybody together. I think there's something to be said of having those interactions, um, those informal, spontaneous moments. Uh, and so what we've um, developed and, and rolled out uh, and, and already announced to our company is what we call a work from anywhere um, program, which is in effect means one day a week in the office, you know, pick your day with your team. Um, and it's to have those team meetings and one-on-ones. We think those are more effective in person. Um, and, uh, you know, actually I had one, uh, you know, our first one with the leadership team just yesterday and uh, now as a strategic planning session for about eight hours. Um, so yeah, that's definitely going to be more effective than being in front of a camera for, for eight hours. Yeah. So I, I think there's a, there's absolutely a time and a place. Um, but it's also opened up a, now I, you know, I'd go say um, global talent pool might be a little bit um, aggressive, but you know, we're, we're absolutely looking um, to recruit uh, out of Toronto, Kitchener, Waterloo, Ottawa. Um, you know, like, it's like, Hey, if you can get to London for a day or a couple days, every couple weeks and have those like heart to heart moments, eye to eye, um, then why wouldn't we consider working with the best talent we possibly can? So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a verbose way of saying it's a little of both. Yeah. Um, I think there's an absolute need to be in person, but I think there's also a realization on my part as a founder to be accommodative to hiring great people because they value the flexibility of a work from anywhere policy. Yeah. And I think this is, it's, it's a really heartening, uh, kind of tale to hear that, there is this, I've been hearing it from a few founders in different industries that there is this kind of awakened um, mentality from the experience of seeing people actually jump into remote work. I think a lot of leaders were hesitant 
uh, we all, you know, everyone in different sectors knew that it was the way to do it in the last few months because of safety and we want to make sure that our teams are safe and happy and comfortable. Um, but there's always that like question of like, okay, well, will this be the status quo and will we not be able to come together? But the truth is, I think, yeah, people who are committed to what they're doing will want to do it to the best of their ability. And, um, and if doing it together is, is kind of part of the point, because, you know, that's what the team's all about is the fun of like collaborating on stuff, then, uh, then collectively you'll figure out ways to come together and to do that. But really cool to note that now also there's this new stage it sounds like of, of kind of how the team's going to grow with welcoming people from outside the city potentially and people that may not have um, have fit the model before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we um, we actually are, uh, you know, in the in the throes of, uh, you know, not only the strategic plan for, you know, 2021 and beyond, um, but also, uh, you know, filling new roles in product and UXRs like UX researchers, uh, product design, uh, of course, always software developers in in, in high demand, um, uh, pro- product marketers, which is you know a, a, a bit of a hybrid role. Um, that but you know we've been very successful in rec- one recruiting because uh, in in this uh, in this area we've both recruited and actually onboarded employees and. They were delightful. I mean, you're shipping them a MacBook Pro and you're just like, they're getting set up on their own and, and um, you just schedule all the same sessions. Uh, so we've been, I would say, increasingly proficient with uh, the Google application suite from Gmail to Hangouts and Meet and, and uh, of course, Calendar. So, uh, you know, uh, the, the learning never stops. It doesn't matter. Uh, just when you think you've, you've got it figured out, um, there's either a new, uh, you know, economic challenge or even a new customer challenge. And um, if I may to, to mention, because it's something I'm actually really proud of. Uh, fortunately, we've not, um, because the companies continue to grow, we've not needed to, um, you know, conduct any layoffs. We've uh, re- retained our entire team, um, and um, we've even we've even um, added during the period. So uh, I, I think that's indicative of customers increasingly choosing us. Um, and, uh, you know, my intention is to keep, uh, keep that momentum going through the rest of this year and into next. Well, that's, it's such a, honestly, from all angles, such a great story. And I think, um, I'm feeling like, uh, like we're seeing so much positivity now come out of this. Hopefully people's perceptions are changing to say, okay, well, how can we face adversity as solution providers? Right. I mean, we, this is a, whatever the context, I think entrepreneurial pursuit is about solving problems and uh and making those solutions available so it's good to hear that things um things are well over there and that your team is together even though they're not yeah (laughs) (laughs) as best as we can be that's for sure that's great um i like uh your mention of google it's been very beneficial to us as well as a team and a community here on campus of, of member organizations to use google uh for a while uh, any other tools that you want to shout out in terms of things that you guys have experimented with that are helping your team get together? Um, the big ones for us have been Asana. We've moved all of our one-on-ones into Asana. Um, all of our team projects, um, tasks that just sometimes would maybe be like, oh, did that get done or not? Um, so that, that is something we've been highly proficient in. Um, and then while we used Jira uh, as part of the Atlassian suite beforehand, um, 
I would say our level of documentation with um, Jira's complement, which is Confluence, um, the you know wiki style uh, documentation, um, Confluence has been. Uh, I think our like licenses have tripled in that, um, which is just serving. We kind of think of Confluence as the source of truth, whereas Google Docs we can link to Google Docs, but Google Docs is a lot more informal or works in progress. Um, those are, you know, I'm just like glancing up at my, uh, my bookmarks up, uh, up here. Those are the big ones. We've always been huge users of salesforce.com. I mean, we went, I mean, back in like literally our first, uh, contract was in 2005 when it was just Stephanie and I, and they were like, you're buying two licenses of enterprise salesforce.com. I'm like, trust me, you know, if this is, if this works, this will be the single best technological decision because it will mean now and looking back, now I've got 15 years of customer relationship information, um, which has proven to be invaluable in decision-making. Um, and so, uh, and, and you'd be surprised. We even have like customer relationships for 15 years. So those are the, that's the, that's our, our tech stack um, yeah. that uh, has, as I said, proven uh, quite effective. It's fascinating. Thanks for sharing that because I think it's something that also people don't share is what's the stack. Uh, I've been doing a lot of just like camera worker research on YouTube and, and you know, vlogging techniques and stuff lately. It's just my, one of my pet passions. Uh, it's, it's my sourdough, if you will. Um, and uh, it's one of the things that I've noticed a lot of YouTubers doing is like this, there's a, I forget the name of the URL, but there's a website where everyone kind of lists what their rig is, their camera rig. And it's great because we all learn together. So that's, that's cool. Um, so great to hear from you. I'm so happy that uh, this talk was particularly, uh, I think it touched on, you know, relationships, the strength of relationships and the power of business to, uh, to really allow people to work together to build relationships. Um, and it sounds like that's core to the values of, of voices. Um, and uh, heartening to hear amidst, you know, the first few months of this pandemic where especially I was interviewing a lot of businesses that were suffering just to kind of share those stories. And I think now hopefully we're coming a little bit out of that. Uh, the hospitality industry, the events industry, and the meetings industry for, from my angle is still very much uh, impacted and will be for quite a while. And that's something that we've actually parsed out of this series into a new podcast called uh, To Gather. Um, and I think a new normal is now gonna explore more stories like this, businesses that are looking forward um, and learning from the past to be able to strengthen what uh, is already working. Well, the, ple the pleasure's been mine. And uh, if I can ever uh, serve as a resource um, uh, to you or uh, any of the listeners or viewers, then, uh, then, then lean on me. Uh, happy to connect on, uh, on LinkedIn is probably the easiest or simply sending me an email to uh, david at voices.com. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm quick to reply. So uh, hopefully I can be of help. Awesome.